Over the years, we've talked to plenty of incredible outdoor athletes, people who've walked across America, scaled El Capitan, or highlined over some of the world's largest canyons. Though they train physically for months or even years, a huge part of the preparation is psychological. These athletes have to train their minds to perform under pressure, to push through self-doubt, and overcome anxiety. Dr. Michael Gervais is one of the world's top high-performance psychologists. He's the co-creator of the Performance Institute at USC, and he's the host and creator of the podcast, Finding Mastery. Today, I'm talking to Michael about how we can use psychology to help us pursue our wild ideas. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Michael Gervais grew up as an athlete, and in college, he became fascinated by how humans perform under pressure. After getting his PhD in performance psychology, Michael went on to work for the Red Bull Stratus Project. There, he famously helped Felix Baumgartner manage his mind and body for his record-setting skydive from 128,000 feet in the sky. In 2011, Michael signed on with the Seattle Seahawks. His primary objective was to help head coach Pete Carroll build a mindset-based culture. He worked with the Seahawks for nine seasons, including two back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. Now Michael works with all kinds of athletes, and he spent the past three Olympic Games working with athletes on Team USA. Michael Gervais, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. I'm so stoked to be here. Thank you so much, Shelby. Well, this is exciting because we haven't had on like a true sports psychologist and you've interviewed so many people, including guests of this show, like Jimmy Chin and more on your own podcast and you have all these books. And really like this show is about how to get unstuck and how to use the outdoors as a catalyst to change. But you've been working with the top outdoor athletes. What are some of the things that you see that athletes come to you for? Well, I think it's not dissimilar to the the stuff you and I would sort out, want to sort out. Yeah. So there's, there's some lifestyle things that, you know, are maybe just causing some extra stress or not quite dealing with some of the relationships properly. There's that, that there's always that in whether it's an elite athlete or an aspiring elite athlete, whether it's traditional sport or, you know, a, adventure sport, that is always kind of part of the mix. I don't know anyone that has their social and intimate life all buttoned up. <laughs> so <laughs> that usually pops up in some form. That's um, good to know. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, welcome to the club, you know, and, and it, doing this work actually reminds me that um, we're all just trying to figure the same stuff out. So the other capabilities are like confidence. And even though somebody has had multiple gold medals or has scaled whatever, done first ascents here, there, and the other, understanding the mechanics of confidence is very important for folks because um, if confidence is dependent on on recent success, then it's a very dangerous proposition. You want to get the ordering and the math of confidence right so that you can you can decide your level of confidence independent of the conditions. People come to work on confidence. They come on to work on making sure that their arousal levels under high stress or fear feel manageable. They want to work on mental imagery. They want to work on, um, you know, what next? And what is the meaning of my life? I've done all these amazing things. I'm paid so well or not. And um, like, what am I really doing here? So just having a sounding board to work that out as well. So um, yeah, I mean, 
What else are we doing in this life instead of just trying to figure it out? Over time, Michael has broadened the spectrum of who he works with. He realized that the same techniques he uses with athletes can also be used by high-powered CEOs, creatives, and really anyone who follows their dreams. As he worked with more clients and dove deeper into the research, Michael realized that there is one major obstacle that often stands in the way of people's performance, fear of people's opinions, or as he calls it, FOPO. So I spent the last two years researching a very particular concept. And what I found is I thought I was alone in this feeling of like, this dis-ease and discomfort and anxiety, if you will, about uh, the judgment and critique of others. Yeah, I knew other people had anxiety, but come to find out it's like 30% are struggling with clinical anxiety. And in some cases, seven out of 10 people have struggled with some level of anxiety in the last 12 months. Those are really high numbers. And so when it comes to anxiety, there's a specific anxiety that I was... Um, attuned to for much of my early life. And it was the fear of judgment, the fear of critique. And so we coined it fear of people's opinions as a kind of rich way of thinking about what I think is the number one constrictor of, of one's potential is this excessive worry about what they might be thinking of us. And it's exhausting. And so I think that that's like, it, it would be worth us talking about how much do I actually give to the opinions of others? Am I able to like design and paint the canvas of life on my own terms? Or like, am I constantly working to adapt to what they might think of me? And if we look at from an evolutionary standpoint, our brains are wired to be part of the tribe, to be, to fit in. And we are very sensitive to even the slightest beginnings of potential rejection. And so what many of us do is we're scanning the world, like to see if we're okay. And that's a problem because we find ourselves conforming and contorting or confronting just to see if we're okay. Yeah. This is giving a crap what others think, which is the subject of your next book. I think that is a huge thing. A lot of the people that are guests of this show have started movements for what they believed in. You know, most people who pursue a wild idea if it's wild, someone's going to tell you you're crazy for doing it. And most people aren't going to be on board with your own wild idea. So this is really good stuff. This is something that paralyzed me when I was writing my first book that just came out. Like the whole time I wrote it and the whole time it was coming out, I had in the back of my head, like, what if people hate it? What if the subjects of the book hate it? Like, it was awful. You know, we have one guest on the show who, who gave me some good advice, Patty Gonia, the famous outdoor drag queen. And, you know, I interviewed Wynn and he was like, you know, if people are giving you a hate, you know, do what RuPaul says, you know, pay the haters no time. But I think that's like easier said than done because we're all a little bit in our head and we all do want to fit in. So what are some things we can do that works? Well, I think, okay, it's really cool. I, I, on, on the Finding Mastery podcast, there's the, the artist Moby. His quote was something to effect of when he saw himself, you know, for the first time on a magazine cover as a musician, he was like, oh, this is nice. This is love. People know me. Like I have meaning. I'm, I'm on the right path. Like I'm okay. Which looking back and even saying out loud, he recognized was like not healthy. But there's, if I think if we're honest, there is this 
use his word again, the, an intoxication, a craving of being told that you're good or that you're okay or that you're on the right path. And then what he did is he spent the next 15 years obsessing over what people were saying or not saying about him. And he had to stop by, you know, handing over the power back to himself. And so the way that we do that from a technical standpoint is first you have to feel the pain. And the pain is like, I am letting my external world dictate my internal experience. And it's not until you feel that pain that you'll make the change. And so what is the change? It's moving from a approval-based philosophy, avoidance of rejection and craving for approval, to purpose. And shifting from a performance-based identity to a purpose-based identity. And a performance-based identity is exactly what it sounds like. You know, it's like you, you base your identity on in relationship to how other people um, perform. And so when our identity is linked to performance, the quality of our performance defines who we are. And that's why, and you recognize this as an athlete, like that's why when we go on the field or the pitch or the floor, whatever it might be, or um, the outback is that it feels like it's life or death, but it's actually our ego that's on the line and our entire identity is at risk. If I don't perform to the highest, most perfect standard, then my self-worth is at stake again. And that's why we've got this fear of failure. It's not that the failure is so bad, but the reason it feels so bad to us is because our identity is commingled with that failure. And that's called a performance-based identity. And so the pursuit of excellence and high performance, of course, they're important. And performance matters in this world. We learn a lot about ourselves by doing difficult things and testing the boundaries of our limits. But when the core motivation of pursuing excellence or high performance is to prove our self-worth, mistakes and failures and opinions and criticism are experienced as threats rather than as learning opportunities. And so it's moving from that type of toxic internal framework to a purpose-based identity. And a purpose-based identity is exactly what it sounds like. Identifying what are my first principles in life, which is really a fancy way of saying like, what are the values that matter to you? And what is the purpose of why I'm here? And that is so overwhelming. It's such a big question that most people kind of pause and go, I have no fucking idea. And so we can make it super small and say, okay, well, let's thin slice that. What is your purpose for today? And just practice that out for a couple of weeks, a week, I don't know, something like that. And then you can think about, well, what's my purpose for this month? Make it a little broader. What's my purpose for this year? What's my purpose for the next three years? And eventually you're going to start getting closer to like, what am I doing here? What is my purpose of why I'm here? And when that becomes crystal clear and the values about how you want to go about it are crystal clear, you've got a path and you've got a North Star. And the purpose is something it by, according to science, has three components to it. Your purpose is needs to be matter to you. Nobody can give you purpose. So it has to have meaning, personal meaning. The second has to be bigger than you. So it's something that you can't solve Today, you can't really solve it alone. So it's big and audacious in that way. And the third is there's a future orientation. So there's this compelling nature that 
it's still, it's still right out there. According to Michael, if we want to transform our relationship with FOPO, we need to work from the inside out. Rather than allow the external world to dictate our internal reality, we can flip the script by developing a handful of psychological practices and skills. When we come back, Michael shares more exercises from his new book and tells us his advice to get unstuck and go after our wild ideas. Sports psychologist Dr. Michael Gervais has been working with elite athletes for more than a decade. He's learned that the techniques that work for folks at the top of their game can also work for people like you and me. If you've ever wanted to try van life or through hiking, you might find that friends and loved ones don't always understand your wild ideas. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue them. This is an issue that Michael tackles in his new book. It's called The First Rule of Mastery, Stop worrying about what other people think of you. Is there any other exercises from your new book that you want to share about how we give less crap of what other people think? I love yeah. the title, by the way. Stop, stop worrying, worrying what other people think. Yeah, I love it. I know. Yeah, so thank you. So how to, you know, how to stop worrying about what people think. There's so much freedom on the other side of it. And notice that the word is not stop caring. That's not the mechanism here. It's stop worrying. And it's that excessive worry about what will they think that once you get this thing kind of in order, there's incredible freedom on the other side. So some of the practices, um, mindfulness is right at the center. And so what mindfulness does is a practice. It's the practice of becoming aware. And it does many things. There's lots of gold dust that comes from the practice of mindfulness, but the gold is the practice of becoming more aware of two things primarily, aware of your inner experience, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, you know, your physiology, if you will, and then more aware of the external world. So you're more clear about what's happening outside of you as well. And if you're not practicing some sort of awareness training or some sort of awareness building, you're not in the game yet of high performance. And as you do something to increase your awareness, you start to play a bit of a different game in life. And so I would start, that's ground zero, start there with the practice of awareness building. So self-study is like, know how your thoughts work. Know how thought one and thought two work together and impact emotion A. Like get it together in that re respect. And I, I'm not just saying, I've been practicing 25 years, but I'm not just like repeating good science, which if you wanna go that way, we can but I'm repeating what the best in the world are saying that they're doing and they get it. They're like, listen, I want to be great and I can't be great unless I know how my thoughts work and how my feelings and emotions work. Because when it's on, I got I want to be great there too. And when it's boring, I want to be great there too. And when it's a conversation in a living room, I want to be great there. And when the lights are on and the puck drops or, you know, whatever the, the sport might be, I want to be great there too. So that begins with awareness training and mindfulness is certainly one of the, the three tall tent poles uh, for awareness building. So I would start there. And what are some of the athletes that you've worked with doing to have more mindfulness in their life? Like, you know, there's breath work, there's yoga, there's meditation, or is it just simply being able to connect emotions to thought one 
to thought two or <laughs> thought one to thought two that goes to the emotion. So what I'm describing is actually meditation, a meditation practice. Okay. And um, breath work is not meditation. It can be meditative, but it's different. And there's a good place for breath work. You know, and the science that has kind of come online in the last, let's call it 10 years, has been really cool. But as a, as a practice, there's two basic types of meditation. So there's single point meditation and there's contemplative meditation. One is about um, quieting your mind by having something very basic to focus on, on repeat. And so that's the first part of it. You're saying to quiet your mind. And the second part is having an external focus which is, you know, loving kindness has been around since the beginning of mindfulness, at least my, uh, my understanding of it. And so it's awesome. And those, um, those, what they end up doing is they help you become more aware of when your mind wanders from the one thing that you're focusing on. So as soon as your mind goes, you're, say you're focusing on your inhale, I am, and on the exhale here, or whatever the, 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 the exercise is, is that it, you start to recognize quickly, like, oh, I'm thinking about my email to do, or I'm thinking about this project I have coming up. or, And then so as soon as your mind wanders, that's the moment of awareness. Like, that's it. Like, celebrate that. Because it's not like, shit, why is my mind wandering? It's like, oh, I just caught it. Great. Now I'm in awareness, and now I can just refocus my mind back to the one thing I want to focus on. That's it. So in many respects, mindfulness is the, the starting over a thousand times. And... That's awareness training. Do you have any interesting stories that you came across while researching this? Surprisingly enough, uh, when I was doing the research on FOPO, Fear of People's Opinions, Beethoven, of all people, Beethoven had FOPO. And so he went deaf. And for years, he receded from public view to hide that, you know, he, 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 he was afraid of what would people think of him if they knew he was actually deaf and he was just kind of faking his way through, he couldn't, he couldn't create the music that he was lauded for. You know, uh, Symphony Number no. 5 was post-deaf. And so it was said like, bum, 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 was him, you know, hand, uh, pounding his fist on the, on the piano, like frustrated that he couldn't quite hear the notes. And then he heard that and he's like, wait, that's it. And so, you know, there he goes and writes one of his all-time great symphonies. And so there's plenty of people that have it. And, and I think we're all just trying to figure it out. I have never heard of FOPO. I've heard of FOMO, but I really like that FOPO. Fear I, of I studied opinions. this guy, um, yeah. an LA guy, Larry Crane, he passed away, but he used to say that wanting other people's approval is the biggest check you'll ever write. And that's awesome. That, I mean, it's that's expensive. It. That's it. That's it. And and not only is it expensive because you're 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 having to make some choices about your life, but it's expensive in the way that um, it, it exhausts your system. Michael says that through mindfulness, we can be more aware of our trains of thought. He gives the example of someone who thinks this is hard. Their next thought might be, this is really hard, which might turn into, I can't do this. And then 20 thoughts later, they think, I can't do anything. That thought train dramatically influences our performance. But if that same person changes their thought mentality at thought number two, rather than at thought 20, 
they will feel and perform differently. Mindfulness allows us to get off at an earlier stop and take a different line. I think this practice would be really helpful for many of us. Sometimes we come up with a wild idea and it's so exciting, we can't stop thinking about it and it feels like the perfect fit. But maybe once we start planning the logistics or run into roadblocks, we start to second guess ourselves. Those doubts lead us on one of those negative thought trains. But Michael has some great advice for people who feel stuck in a cycle of anxiety. For folks that have an idea of something that they'd like to do, and they've been dreaming about it a long time, they've got the makings of an idea, and they just haven't quite figured out how to make it a reality. I understand that experience. And I would say the hard work, the vision casting, and the creating a vision of a compelling idea or a project or an adventure is really one of the big rocks to get in the container. So it's really important to do that work first. So if you're already there, I start to nod my head like, okay, cool. And I would challenge that person to be able to describe it with great clarity. And that could be in a conversation. And then it's just a little bit better when you write it down. So when you start to write down what actually is um, the vision and what are the capabilities required, what are the key milestones that are that go into making that happen, then you start to develop a plan. And the, the thing that I think most people we have to rub up against is not necessarily the vision and or the plan to make that happen, but it's this dilemma about the people that love me, the people in my community that think I'm a little crazy, that don't get it, that say things like, what are you searching for? Or why do you need to go there to do that? Or isn't that dangerous? Or, oh, geez, I think that time has passed you up. Like they, they kind of cock their head, you know, 15 degrees and they, they, they shape shift their eyes a little way. And it's a little bit of a squint with an eyebrow raise. It's just that slight little hesitation that is created in us. And that's the thing to be, to know that is likely coming. And that's why the fear of other people's opinions actually holds us back is that there's this reverberation that takes place when we share dreams or ideas or wild projects with other people, even people that deeply love us. Because the people around us, they love us. They want the best for us. But sometimes that when living our very best makes them feel a little bit less than. So what most people really want is to feel okay and good around the people that they love. So there's a bit of a heavy blanket that can get thrown over people's dreams. And so the reverberation I'm talking about is when you say it out loud is to know that the echo that might come back is the unapproval, that they don't totally approve or get it. And I'll, I'll share a very concrete example. Um, Lauren Regula, she was a, a one of the great um, softball players for the Canadian Olympic Organization. And she was, quote unquote, past her prime, you know, a 39-year-old mom. And she was offered a chance to come out of retirement and play for the Olympic team. And she almost passed it up because of the judgments about her age, her choices, you know, her role as a mom, her role as a wife. And if it were not in her case for her partner, I mean, all, many of her friends were like, mm, I don't know. 
But if it wasn't for her partner that said, I got you, go for it. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be a partner in this with you. I see you. I see how much you want to you know, take a sh another shot at it. I got you. So this idea that nobody does it alone is so important. Even if the, if the thing is like you know, a, a specific trail or a, a, a month-long adventure somewhere that's a solo expedition, nobody does it alone. And so we need each other to, to prepare, to go, to support, to challenge us, to, to, to literally prepare us and enable us to be our very best. And so, um, yeah, I, th I think it's pretty common. And I wish that, I wish more people could understand how that echo chamber or reverberation of just the slightest little clever descent of the dream gets in the way of what we're capable of. Michael's advice addresses handling the judgment of others while preparing for our wild ideas. But later, when it's time to come home, there's another important psychological factor that I actually wrote about in my own book, Will to Wild. Often when people return from an adventure, the integration back into normal life is challenging. The event that they've been focused on for so long is over, and it can be hard to figure out what's next. I've actually interviewed a lot of people recently that wrote books or, you know, people who've done wild ideas on the podcast. And if they don't know what's next, it's really challenging. Often they slip into a little bit of a depression, but sometimes you just don't know what's next because you're just myopic and that's all you can focus on. So what do you do then? Like sometimes you just don't have another idea. Like this is all you want to do. Yeah. And that's cool. Like, and, and when that thing is done, you know, or it's come or it's come to an end. The analogy we use um, with Olympians is that when the circus leaves town, it leaves a bit of a mess. The grass is trampled. You know, it's a bit messy. Trash cans are overflowing. Like there's a mess after the big thing, after the thing that, you know, you've been working eight, 12, 16, four years for whatever it might be. And so just recognizing that that's part of the process, that's okay too. And if you've got the luxury of having a bit of runway, meaning um, you've got some money, <laughs> you know, that you can um, buy some time with, it's okay. It's part of the process. And I wish I had an easy answer, but it goes back to like a compelling vision. Like what what is so exciting about my future that I, I can't wait to get up with some vigor about it? And what is my purpose? Like why am I going to apply effort in any specific direction? And so it's, again, nobody can give those to you. That's the, like the rite of passage of being an adult. And, and so that's why like the service of psychology or having like a mentor that really understands you or a journal that doesn't judge you, like, and a, a cushion or a meditation pillow that can help, you know, provide a little bit of comfort when you're doing the inner work. Those are the three best practices. People of wisdom, talk about it with them. The second is write about it. It's a forcing function to get honest. And the third is get to know yourself and be, get quiet and feel and observe how your thoughts and emotions work. Talk with wise people, write and adopt a mindfulness practice. I love these tips for not only figuring out the next step, but honestly, for processing anything that's on your mind. Michael Gervais, thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas Worth Living. I enjoyed your insights. If you want to learn more about Dr. Michael Gervais, check out his website, 
findingmastery.com. There you can get links to his social media, and you can also listen to Michael's podcast, Finding Mastery, and your favorite podcast listening apps. Michael's new book, The First Rule of Mastery, Stop Worrying About What Other People Think of You, is out now. Check it out wherever you get your books. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierce-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, rate it, and take time to write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.